Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors podcast. I am Christopher Summers, joined as always by Julia Warren. Hello, Julia. Hi, Christopher. It's good to be here. And this week, we're joined by a returning special guest, uh, Jenny Sutovia, who is our prayer manager. Uh, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Christopher. Thanks for having me. Hey, Julia. I'm excited to be here again. Yeah, thanks for being here with us. So in today's episode, we're going to hear from a Nigerian believer named Hajiratu. We're going to hear her story, which is tough to hear, as you might expect, but really has some hope about what God is doing in both Nigeria and across sub-Saharan Africa. But first, as always, we wanted to bring you just a brief look into what's been going on with your persecuted family around the world. Uh, Julia and Jenny, what are some of the things that you've been hearing and reading about from the Open Doors field? Yeah, so, Christopher, I just uh, wanted to ask our listeners right now to be praying with our family in Iran and Eritrea. We're just we're we're hearing about um, arrests, um, specifically in um, these countries. Really, um, actually, what has become a wave of arrests? We recently shared about an Iranian couple, uh, Hamoun and his wife Sarah. They left Islam to follow Jesus, which in Iran that's illegal. And they are part of this growing underground house church movement. They actually have even led um, a house church and they were arrested for it. And any day now, this couple will report to prison. Uh, They have special circumstances. He's 63 years old and has advanced Parkinson's disease. And she was sentenced to 11 years. So. The reality is, though, the very 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 hard reality is that they might not ever see each other again, or live together in freedom. Iran is just is no respecter of ages. The regime prosecutes and imprisons Christians regardless of your situation. So, and then we can also pray for Christians in Eritrea. It's a country in North Africa, and um, it's consistently in the top ten of our world watch list for its violent treatment of Christians, as you guys know. Recently, we've seen uh, increasing arrests, actually 37 Christians in separate incidents over just two days. Oh, wow. Right. So we can pray uh, with those who have been arrested and, and really those who in Eritrea essentially risk arrest every day. The thing with Eritrea, um, whenever you think about being arrested in Eritrea for being a Christian, is this country has this intricate prison system of underground tunnels, which makes it extremely difficult for anyone to visit or bring supplies. And they're also known for uh, throwing Christians, specifically Christians, political prisoners, in these tiny shipping, metal shipping containers. So if you, if you think about that and, and think about the, the conditions of what it would be like to be thrown into a, a shipping container, So they're known um, as the North Korea of Africa. They have a terrible, egregious human rights record. So we can definitely be praying for really any of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned, but these situations always break my heart. Well, I know too, like some of the, and I know some of the shipping container prisons, you know, they're pretty informal, but they're in the desert. So not only are you getting, Mm -hmm. you know, complete lack of any kind of sanitation or living conditions, but then it's also, you know, one of the hottest places that you can imagine um, with obviously no, you know, there's no kind of climate control or anything. So exactly. Well, we have reports from ex-prisoners from Eritrea. And again, that doesn't happen very often because a lot, many times you go into prison in Eritrea and you're not seen again. 
But we do have reports from a few that really just describe the situation straight from the bowels of hell. Anytime I, I hear about arrests in Eritrea, I start to just pray because I know that I know the situation. I wanted to highlight, um, actually give an update on um, our brothers and sisters in Sigi, Indonesia. So you may remember hearing that in November, um, the end of November of last year, a terrorist group came into this remote village and they slaughtered four Christians. They burned down six of their houses as well as a church. Thirteen families were displaced in this incident. Um, obviously very traumatic. Um, I remember one of the things that stood out to me when I heard about these believers was that they were known for being very passionate about their faith and just being so eager to share it with their family members and with their neighbors. So at that time, our partners went and met with them, prayed with them, just were with them. Part of our ministry is presence, right? To just be with believers. So um, so they were able to do that. And recently they returned to the area to do some training with these believers. Um, we have some training that our partners do where they talk about um, the church and suffering and forgiveness and also some advocacy regarding church persecution. And so they were able to do this training with these believers as well as do some special trainings for their Sunday school teachers. And they also met with these children who have been severely traumatized um, by witnessing, in some cases, you know, their father being murdered or, you know, another relative. Um, they were able to do some fun Sunday school games with them and teach them some songs with motions, you know, the kind of thing that we do in Sunday school. And they reported the children really, they just smiles came to their faces and and they really enjoyed it, which is which is precious and, and great, obviously. One of the concerns of this whole situation is, is definitely for the children and that they will grow up with this experience that they would not be tainted by it, but that they would continue to, to learn about God and grow in his love and, and learn about forgiveness and reconciliation. And so that's one of the ways we can pray for these, these believers of ours in Indonesia. I think it's so cool whenever we get to hear, you know, about real concrete things, because I know sometimes and I don't know if listeners at home feel this way, but, um, you know, sometimes when we talk about training, that can feel so imprecise, you know, and sometimes we have to be a little bit vague just to make sure that we're protecting security and that we're not endangering any believers or anything. Um, but it's always just really nice to get an idea of what does training actually look like? And, you know, just hearing that, you know, we through, you know, you were listening at, at home or in your car or wherever, you know, through your gifts and your prayers, like we're able to provide people on the ground who've gone through things like this, you know, something where they can experience God's healing uh, in these moments. And, you know, even see like what Jenny was saying, like even see that kind of radical forgiveness that doesn't make any sense, you know, from an earthly perspective. And I think that's, you know, that can just be so powerful to see what that looks like on the ground. And I love the follow-up aspect of it because I remember um, I actually shared about this story on our podcast. So hopefully our listeners remember it. But I do remember um, how our partners, when it happened, they went and they attended the funerals with our brothers and sisters. Um, and I love the idea of that those same people came back 
So here you've, you know, you've seen their faces at the funerals and now they're back to disciple and to train. Isn't that the hands and feet of God? That's the, the comfort and then the strength. I love that. It's beautiful. It is. And it's being the one church, one family that we talk about, right? Right. Where, right. you know, part of our family is hurting and we go to them and we're with them and um, helping them in practical ways, such as helping them rebuild their homes and their church, as well as helping connect them with trauma counseling, um, but also just literally being with them. And um, I'm sure we'll share some of these pictures across our channels, but there's a picture of the children, you know, all lined up in some sort of a building learning the song. And it's also just so relatable, right? Because I think of, you know, my nephews and going to Sunday school and learning the songs, you know, with the motions and all those kinds of things. It really brings it home that we are family and and humans. So So a place that we do a lot of this kind of presence ministry as well as, you know, work with local churches and local partners to provide glimpses of God's healing and God's hope is in sub-Saharan Africa. And we've been doing a lot of that, um, obviously, over the past decades, as uh, things have really gotten worse and worse there for Christians. Uh, we've been focusing a lot on Nigeria recently, which in the most recent edition of the World Watch List, our researchers discovered that it's the most violent place to live as a Christian in the world. There were a significant number of murders in Nigeria um, against people of faith last year and far outstri- outstripping any other uh, any other country in the world. So today in our recorded segment, we have the story of one of the believers who's been deeply affected by that violence. And I think maybe before we get into that, I just wondered, uh, Julia and Jenny, what are some of the things that maybe people should know about you know, in terms of violence or attacks against Christians in Nigeria, but also broadly throughout sub-Saharan Africa? I would want to stress that um, in these attacks, um, that these that these attacks are not just um, an attack on on one person. That when someone is attacked, it is an attack on the whole village, the whole family, because it emasculates the men. It puts fear into the church. In these attacks, men and boys are particularly vulnerable. They're often, especially if it's Islamic extremists, they're especially they're usually killed for their faith. And then the women and children are um, often kidnapped and displaced to either to these camps um, where they basically undergo all sorts of um, harassment and um, persecution to convert to, to Islam. We, we hear from often from women who have been rescued from these camps that um, they were defiled and raped. And so I just, I would want people to understand that, that an attack goes much further than, than one day. It's something that that's life changing. It really is. And if you think about these women that are often left behind, um, even if the extremists don't abduct them, if they leave them, then there are these women that are not only vulnerable to more attacks, but also left trying to provide for often multiple children in a situation where perhaps they've lost their home because it's been burned down. They may have lost their livelihood, either from losing their husband or their crops being destroyed. So it really does affect, like Julia was saying, it affects 
affects communities as a whole, as well as generations. And that's one of the stories we're going to hear. Something important, I think, before we turn over to the story is just to mention some of the context behind you know what we're about to hear. You'll hear us talk about Fulani militants. And I think it's really important before we get started just to kind of know what that means. So the Fulani are a people group in Nigeria and across West Africa. And we're not, we definitely don't want to say or imply that, you know, all Fulani people are doing these horrible atrocities. It's certainly not the majority of the Fulani. Instead, there are radical elements within the Fulani community that are using religion because the Fulani are primarily Muslim and they're using an extremist interpretation of Islam to attack these Christian villages and villagers. And these extremist elements within this group have been responsible for thousands of deaths uh, over the last decade or decade or two. And the violence keeps seems to be getting worse and worse. And so that's just a little bit of a backdrop to the story you're about to hear. And now we'll turn it over to Hajaratu's story. In Nigeria's Middle Belt, Christians are increasingly under attack. The northern part of Nigeria is actually the most violent place on earth for Christians. And Christians like Hajaratu, who we're going to hear from in just a moment, risk everything to follow Jesus. Her small village of Chabab recently was the victim of one of these attacks. They were attacked by militant Fulani herdsmen. And as Hajaratu notes, for a long time, the community of Chabab, Fulani and non-Fulani alike, lived in harmony. They lived at peace, they were neighbors, and they were friends. But something over the last few years has changed, and that peace is no longer there. We were in harmony with them in the past. We really loved them. If something bad had happened to any of us, they too will come to offer their condolences. Truly. We lived in peace. Now their intention is to wipe out the Christians. They said they don't like Christians. So Christians in this remote region have been experiencing increased attacks from militant Fulani herdsmen. Often, these herdsmen use the religion of Islam and an extremist interpretation of it as an excuse to target Christian villages, homes, and churches. When these Islamic extremists attack, the results are devastating. This is what happened to Hajaratu. She heard gunshots in the middle of the night. She woke up and she knew that Fulani militants were attacking her village. She knew that she and her children had to flee. So she bolted up out of bed, grabbed her children and told them to run. Her youngest child was unable to run because she was too young. So Hajaratu knew that she had to carry her and get away. I woke the children up, telling them Fulanis are attacking. I flung my little daughter on my back, quickly strapped her with a cloak, and went outside to the gate to see what was happening. I ran towards the stream and saw some people holding lights across the river. I followed and went in their direction. I continued walking while crying for help. But the people that I followed had gone very far. I was soaked in the muddy water. My daughter was crying, but I kept on walking. I reached the deep part of the river 
where I got submerged and began to drown. My daughter cried as I struggled to resurface. I can't even explain how I made it to the river bank. It was then that I asked myself amidst the confusion, where is my child? As Hajiratu had tried to cross the fast-moving river, the current had swept her daughter away from her. There was nothing she could have done. She made her way to the bank, knowing that her daughter was gone, knowing that she didn't know where her other children were, not knowing what had happened to her village or her home or her neighbors. All she could do was sit on the bank and weep. I went to my elder brother's house and saw the Fulanis had shot him and burnt him and his house. They cut his body badly and killed his wife and daughter. They had burnt down houses in the whole village and stolen our animals. We had rumors that the Fulani said they will attack us the next day again. We left and crossed the river until we came to a village. There, a pastor who heard of the attack sent a vehicle that helped carry us to this camp near Zonkwa. The camp that Hajiratu went to was an informal camp set up for people in Nigeria who are internally displaced by violence. These camps aren't really set up to care for a large group of people, and they aren't very well organized. But fortunately, Open Doors has been able to work with local church leaders to provide emergency relief for victims of this attack who are living at this camp. And praise God, at this camp, Hajiratu found out that the rest of her children were alive and had made their way to the camp, and she was reunited with them. On the third day, of being in the camp, I met my children. They were brought to me in the camp and I hugged them crying because my fear was that they had been killed even though I had not seen their bodies. This is my only consolation. I prayed seriously questioning God as to why this horrific incident befell me. Something that Open Doors has realized is that in many of these situations where violent attacks happen to Christians in Nigeria, people return to their homes and their churches and their communities and their families, and yet they're still bear the significant scars of these attacks. We realized and we've heard from people on the grounds and from Christians on the grounds that in order to fully strengthen the church, we also need to help people heal from this trauma. That's why Open Doors over the last several years has made sure to invest heavily in a trauma counseling program throughout Northern Nigeria. This is the kind of counseling we were able to provide Hajiratu at our trauma center. She was able to come and receive in-depth counseling and begin to heal. I entered the trauma center and saw the lady training us. Immediately, I began to feel peace as I relaxed. The fear I had before completely disappeared. Opened us. I am grateful for this work you have done unto us. The wisdom that God has given you to do this, may he increase it so that you can do more for others. Hajiratu is just one of thousands of Christians in Nigeria who are the victims of violent attacks. If you'd like to learn how you can provide urgent relief and support to persecuted Christians like Hajiratu, 
visit opendoorsusa.org. So that was Hajaratu's story. I want to especially thank some of our teammates around the world for helping gather that uh, material. Normally, we have a much easier time getting material, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been a challenge to get audio and video recording uh, from places like Nigeria. But, you know, our field really helped make that happen. So I'm especially grateful for them. So obviously, that's a really hard story to hear. Um, Julia and Jenny, what's something that stuck with you from Hajaratu's story? Oh, um, her incredible tenacity and also just the tragedy of, I mean, I don't know how we can listen to a story like hers and not be heartbroken with her as her, you know, baby is swept away. It's just unimaginable. I'm, I'm always heartbroken. I've been been sharing the story, writing about the story for a while, but I'm, I'm just so always so heartbroken to just think about it. But, you know, what continues to, to come back to me is the trust, um, the trust in God to walk with God in the midst of tragedy. And then after, afterward, um, I'm just, I'm heartbroken for her, but I'm also inspired by her. Yeah. I think one of the really tough things for me to read is, you know, obviously there's the the tragic day itself, but then just reading like what she came back to um, and knowing that, you know, her village has essentially been destroyed and she's in one of these makeshifts internally displaced persons camp where, you know, those were, those were, you know, pretty difficult places to be even in the best of times. And I know that, you know, our field has told us that the coronavirus pandemic has made that, made that even more desperate. Um, as lockdowns have happened and food distribution is pretty hit or miss. So I think it's just really hard for me to know that obviously there's that immediate trauma that happens, but then it's not like it's over and you can start to recover. It's, you know, an ongoing thing that, you know, just seems to have no end. And it's, you know, it's hard to look at that and see the hope of Christ, except that, Hadratu seems to look at it and see the hope of Christ. So Exactly. And that's where the inspiration really comes in. When I think about things that I go through in my life and, you know, doing my best to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of the storm, that is something that is so inspiring in the stories that we hear from our persecuted brothers and sisters that oftentimes these are not one time events. It is life-changing and they continue to take it one step at a time and place their trust in Jesus. And it's so, it's just so inspirational and challenging at the same time. I think about the fact that she's already a single parent. You know, her, her husband died, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a couple years before the attack. So she's already a single parent in Nigeria, a single woman in Nigeria taking care of children. And that must have been so difficult to have already lost your husband and be a single parent and then now to survive an attack and, and lose your, lose your child in the midst of it. I, I'm just, honestly, I'm just awed by her trust. 
Well, one cool thing is that there are opportunities for us to directly communicate and even to encourage Hajaratu as well as some other believers in Nigeria and Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, so as prayer manager, Jenny oversees these kind of efforts as well. So Jenny, would you just talk a little bit about what people can do uh, for Hajaratu and her family? I would love to. This is, I mean, there's many exciting aspects to our work, but one of them is the opportunity that we have to sometimes be able to connect all of you with our persecuted family. And we have that kind of an opportunity right now. Um, if you go to our website, opendoorsusa.org backslash letter writing, you can um, see that there is an opportunity to write Hajaratu a letter um, and she'll actually receive it and be able to read it. We have some different guidelines there that you can read. For example, she doesn't speak English, which makes sense, right? She speaks Hausa. In an effort to give her something that makes sense, that would be encouraging to her, we have a phrase in Hausa that you can use in the card. And um, another suggestion we have is just to, to purchase like a beautiful greeting card or make a greeting card. You know, there's some things that are kind of transcendent between people, right? Like beautiful scenery and, you know, things like that. So doing... Something like that, or another great thing would be to have your children draw a picture is another cool thing, another cool way to be able to connect. So um, on our website, you'll find the address to send those to, and you send them right to us, and then we gather them all and forward them to her so that she can know that she's not alone, that there are people all over America who are thinking of her and praying for her. And what a cool opportunity is that? I mean, yeah, just amazing. So if you go right now to opendoorsusa.org slash letter dash writing, you'll be able to see the opportunity to send cards and notes to Hajaratu and her family, as well as some other folks uh, around the world in sub-Saharan Africa, as well as other places. And, you know, keep that page bookmarked because Jenny does a really good job of making sure that we're always able to send people that we are working with and praying for uh, really physical uh, tokens of our encouragement and our appreciation for their faith in the face of these things. Yeah. And one thing to remember really quickly is sometimes people give me feedback that they get kind of nervous about writing a letter or sending something to one of these persecuted Christians because they're really afraid that they could do something wrong. Or I don't know that there's a very specific, special way we have to do it. And like I said, we do have some guidelines on there. There's some things we ask you not to say and some things that we suggest that are good. But other than that, just just feel some freedom in it. <laughs> that it's just a, a fun way and a meaningful way to be able to connect with your brothers and sisters around the world. I love that um, our brothers and sisters who have received letters have told us so often, you encouraged me. I was in a really dark place. And getting your letters, you've encouraged me. Or this is exactly what I needed at this time. And it's almost as if God is is using these letters to to minister to them, to let them know that they're not alone. Exactly. I've heard stories of um, the recipient of the letters sleeping with them under their pillow because they were just so precious to them or sharing them with other believers around them, passing out, here, you get a letter and here's one for you. Just sharing, sharing the encouragement um, and to see the smiles on their faces 
in the midst of everything they're going through is really special. Well, great. I would love to encourage you to take that step and send a letter. Uh, before we close, uh, Jenny, I was just wondering if you would uh, pray in closing today, both for Hajratu as well as for some of the news events and prayer requests that we talked about earlier in the episode. Sure. I would love to, Christopher. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your love and your mercy and your faithfulness. Thank you that we got to hear Hajaratu's story today and that from her own lips, we hear of your faithfulness and um, your mercy and your hope. And we pray that Hajaratu will continue to experience these things, Father. Please continue to comfort her and allow her to feel your presence um, even in a new way today, Father, than how she's experienced you in the past. We also lift up these other situations. Um, please be with these believers in Iran and Eritrea, Lord, who are either already imprisoned or waiting to be summoned for prison, Lord. We just pray that they also would experience your presence, Lord, your peace, which surpasses all understanding, that it would guard their hearts and their minds in you, Father. Allow us to be reminded of these believers, of these, of this family of ours, Lord, and just remind us to pray for them, to encourage them, to hold them close in our hearts, Lord, as they suffer, Lord, um, help us to stand with them. And we thank you for these believers in Sigi, Indonesia, Lord, and Oh, their faith is so inspirational and their eagerness to share your love and, and your truth with everyone they know, Father. I pray that you would please continue to strengthen them. Help these seeds that were planted in them during these trainings and these special times. Lord, help those seeds to grow, to bear fruit. Help them to remember the truths that they have learned in times where their faith is challenged, Lord, in the future when when they think about their losses and, and they continue to walk out these things, Father, um, just remind them of your truth and for how much you love them. We just thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It's great. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode. Just a reminder, if you are interested in finding ways that you can support and pray for persecuted Christians, in Nigeria or in sub-Saharan Africa or anywhere else in the world, please do visit our website, opendoorsusa.org, and you'll be able to read stories and find out how you can specifically help and aid in many of these situations. But for now, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Christopher Summers. And I'm Julia Warren. Thanks so much for joining us on the Open Doors podcast, because we are all members of one church and one family. <laughs>